0: You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. alaikum peace be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show at Voice of Islam UK. Myself Zakaria here, and I will be joining uh, joined with um, Imam Raza Ahmed as well shortly. Um, as you know, this is a Drive Time Show, and we discuss different topics in these two hours so I will be with you from four o'clock till 6 p.m. God willing for those who are familiar to our show you know that uh, we split the two hours usually in two different topics and uh, for today we have two very interesting topics in fact and um, you know for the first hour we will be discussing about maths and girls, um, especially why, um, you know, people might think that maths is not for girls. And in fact, uh, it's it's not really the truth. Um, we will be discussing this in more detail why this is so. And we will also be discussing with uh, some, um, you know, some experts on this as well. And also... Um, you know uh, uh we will be discussing we've got we will have two uh guests with us um the first one uh will be Tahreem Muzammil who is uh, a MSc in genetics and stem cells doing postgraduate medicine and also working in research related to stem cells the other caller that we will have is a Zainab Fatimam. Uh, second year uh, mechanical engineering as well. So these are the two callers that we will be uh, speaking to in the first hour. Now in the second hour as you know we will have a different topic um, uh, different than maths uh, in fact uh, and it will be more about the disasters. Uh, We know that uh, and, and not just disasters but uh, natural disasters why it occurs um why do we have them and does it have any relation with um uh, with god sending these disasters um of course we will be discussing this not just um uh, you know internally with uh, you know with each other me and uh, imam raza but also we will bring in uh, some experts on this as well And we will have two more guests um, for this. Um, We will have, um, you know, for the second hour, we will have um, a a a clip as well. Two, in fact, two clips. um, Apart from that, we will speak to Anastasios Sektos um, and David Alexander. David Alexander um, is a Profession, uh, professor of Risk and Disaster Reduction at the University College London. Um, he has taught emergency planning and management for 42 years and he has written a number of books including Natural Disasters. So we will be discussing this topic with him and also we will be discussing to Anastasios Sektos um, who is a Professor of Earthquake Engineering at the University of Bristol uh and and um uh, will long uh, with a long uh, experience in uh, mitigation mitigating seismic risk around the world so um looking forward to speak to them as well so it will be very interesting and hopefully you will stay till the end of this show now if we uh, you know that uh, we are very active at in, in the social media platform as well um for those who I want to listen to our previous shows and every day we have different and very hot topics, um, you can go to uh, our website www.voiceofislam.co.uk You can also give us a call anytime you want during the show as well at 20 So the number is 20 87 uh, sorry 02086877878 and you can also tweet us at voiceofislam.uk for the first hour we are also asking a question in regards to maths and the question is Is maths harder for girls? And this is a question that we are asking um, uh, in our Instagram story. Um, as you know that every day we have some sort of questions going around and people are open to answer these questions. And so far we have quite few responses, in fact. Um, and, uh, one of the responses is that not in this day and age with equal education and girls trying to fight more gender barriers. Uh, another question by Rep T Reed, um, uh, is that well? Most of uh, my maths teacher were female. For teaching, one has to understand. And then uh, quite few people has said have said no, no, no. Uh, actually, four times no, and one person said five times no. And someone said yes. Uh, uh, Razia Mughal said no. As a female maths teacher, I strongly disagree. Another person said nope. It's thoughts that makes everything harder and impossible. Now Islam is a religion that stresses that education for men and women is of equal importance and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, laid down that education is compulsory for both. And we know this through the history of Islam that the Holy Prophet who brought the religion of Islam He has taught us Islam and he has taught us that knowledge is something that should be gained. And he did not only focus to men, he addressed it to everyone. You know, it doesn't matter if they are women, are men, uh, young, old, any gender, it does not matter. Everyone has to attain knowledge. Now, the first revelation that was... um, Uh, you know, sent to the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi as you know was Iqra right? Iqra was the first word that was revealed to the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi by God Almighty and that was actually the first word that was, you know, revealed uh, you know for the Holy Quran as well so this means read read, simply read, which means gain knowledge Now it is the duty of every Muslim man and every um, Muslim woman to acquire knowledge because that's the first word which was revealed uh, to the Holy Prophet ﷺ and you know first word technically you can say which was revealed to the Holy Quran that you know the Holy Quran is a Quran that is you know revealed to attain knowledge. Now any knowledge doesn't matter if it's science technology, engineering, or maths, right? It's it's not, you know, limited to only men or women. It's actually something which is for everyone. Now, girls that may, uh, uh, you know, sway away from STEM, so STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, you know, could be due to underrepresentation of a woman in such careers. It's evident in such research that the presence of representatives uh, of females in STEM carriers influence the choices girls take in their education. So is it that girls can't do maths or just the lack of female role models? Now, Children's Commissioner for England, Rachel de Souza, uh, Souza informed Birmingham's school leaders for how girls would be held back and put off with classes to do with STEM-related subjects. This was said after the MPs were told that girls were avoiding a levels, A-levels like physics they don't like it and have a lot of hard maths in there. Now, sexism in physics have also been found since years where theoretically physicists Alexandro Stromia also claimed in 2018 that girls would not be able to handle. He was suspended the day after by CERN. The source spoke out stating that the actual problem was the importance of female STEM role, role models. Not that they couldn't do hard maths. Girls from a maths and science post 16 free school she opened made you know, opened made it clear that they did like hard maths. Now, this is an issue that, you know, of course, maybe more men are, uh, you know, into maths, and that is more highlighted. But then, when women do it, of course, when that will be more highlighted, it will be something that, and then, then of course, we can then also uh, say that, yes, women are involved in this. But, you know, something which is not highlighted That is, you know, sometimes forgotten as well. Now, Catherine Birbal Singh, the Social Mobility Commissioner for England, suggested that the reason so few girls take maths-based A-levels was because they found the subject too hard. Is there any truth in this or could it be due uh, due to a lack of female role models in STEM subjects as the Children's Commissioner has suggested? Now why why is it that you know less women are involved in physics in the holy quran we know a very very famous um a prayer which is rabbi zidni ilma right which means oh my lord increase me in knowledge now you know we as muslims we believe that it doesn't matter whatever knowledge you want to increase in if you pray this prayer, God Almighty helps you. And of course, with prayers comes hard work as well. You cannot just, you know, just, just do one and, and just, you know, uh, uh, don't do any effort. Yes, of course, you have to do effort. But uh, this is a prayer that we do to increase our knowledge. Now, there are various reasons uh, why less women are involved in physics. The influence of their surroundings have a fundamental impact on their career choices. The idea that women are less capable or unable to tackle hard maths and physics has been disproved by various times. Now, Charles Tracy, head of the education at the Institute of Physics in the UK, stated that girls usually perform just as well as boys and even better. Prior to the pandemic, 30% 30% of girls had ach- achieved top two grades in physics compared to 29.5% for boys. The idea that physics naturally naturally, interests boys is also not proven. In 2018, 8,300 girls had chosen physics as their A-levels when compared to 6,000 girls choosing French. However, physics was the second most popular subject for boys compared to the girls for whom it was 18th most popular it is logical that girls are put off or not encouraged psychologically sp- psychologically speaking it also seems daunting now research suggests that women in science are more likely than men to have their emails ignored that involved a requesting for positions for phd positions on average they are in need to submit three more papers in top tier journals than men to get a place for the same academic job those problems are faced across the science not just physics this is also supported by the survey from 130 countries from 1500 people by the American Institute of Physics, IOP. It was focused on whether men and women have equal access to resources they need to carry out, research, and present their results. In every aspect, women were worse off than men. According to IOP, in the UK, 17% of physics uh, physics lecturers are women and 7% are uh, professors. Now, imam um, Raza, as you know that we we're speaking about maths in the first hour, and especially something which is um you know uh, you know some of us might think that it's not something for girls or girls are not inclined towards doing maths um so um, what do you think? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? I
1: think it's one of those um, topics where you know, um, like w- w- with so many, uh, you mentioned this in, in, in the introduction that the lack of female role models or the lack of awareness, I think, um, when it comes to maths, it's not, I think times are changing. Um, maybe if you look at the past, uh, we do have these great mathematicians Majority of them who yep. uh, are men, but again, uh, I, I think when it comes to the, the makeup of the brain, God Almighty did not make a d- distinction when it comes to that. No, no. We know that in some cases, women are more able to 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 solve certain issues, mm-hmm. um, multitasking. We know it's it's one of those things that we say they can they can. Uh, you know, do three things at the same time, whereas for us, I mean, I I can talk for myself at least, doing two things at the same time might be a bit difficult. (laughs) Same to me. I I cannot focus uh, on two things at time. So we got to do one thing at a time. Um, But I think uh, when we speak to our guests, for example, uh, to, uh, to females who are, you know, in these STEM subjects, and again, if you search and if you look... The world is changing, Um, even uh, when it comes to scientists in general, these STEM subjects. uh, We had this the comment as well on on Instagram by a maths teacher. Mm -hmm. And I had, I think, if I look back, the last few teachers that I remember, uh, one of them was a woman. I mean, she gave me a really hard time, but <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. But I think it was at that time that I learned the most. Mm. Um, because it was a challenging, uh, time that one year where she was teaching us maths. I think it was in grade 10 or 11 or in like 11, 12, uh, the, the, the higher ups. Um, it was a, it was a tough time. Mm. But I mean, she, she did manage to teach people like me as well. Mm, that so, uh, shows that yeah. you know
0: you learn math from from a woman, and I'm pretty sure that there's so many they have seen uh, and and yeah. So learned, I think learned, to, though, to from,
1: generalize from thing to say that this is something that men can do that this is some uh, we we might have moved on from that. God Almighty, again from from a Muslim point of view, if you look, if we read the Holy Quran, yes. um... There are distinctions as well as the the, the physical abilities are concerned, right? So mm-hmm. we know that certain things are um, typically associated with with men, being the breadwinner, you know, heavy lifting, physical work, all of that. There's no denying that everybody has certain uh, responsibilities and roles in life. That's something that Islam does acknowledge. Yep. But to limit the ability as far as you know the brains is concerned, as far as a hard work is concerned. That is something that that uh, we 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 don't really believe
0: in. Mm. Certainly, certainly, and and we say this as well that women are capable to learn anything, of course, and and excel excel in any uh, subject, uh, and there is no uh, discrimination in that in Islam at all. Um, as I promised to you, uh, we will be discussing this to uh, two guests who will be joining us over the phone. Uh, we have uh, Tahrim Muzammal uh, who is on the phone. Um, uh, she is the MCS, uh, M- MSc in genetics and stem cells doing postgraduate medicine and also working research related to stem cells. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to Voice of Islam, a drive-time show. Thank you
2: very much for having me on the show.
0: Thank you much. Uh, Thank you very much for being with us um, and, and, and speaking to us. Um, we know that a smaller percentage of women are entering STEM carriers um, compared to men. Um, why do you believe this is to be the case?
2: Um, well, there are many reasons for that. And one of the biggest is um, lack of female role models in STEM. Young women see very few women going into STEM fields. So they have fewer role models and examples to follow. Mentorships and role models are extremely important when for anyone when pursuing a degree or a career. Most young people, when you ask them and when they share their experiences of choosing a degree, um, they talk about finding someone they look up to and they admire. Um, and they chose a certain career path because of them. And as humans, um, we we often gravitate towards role models that seem to be more like us. It seems that if someone like us can achieve their dreams, so we can too. And this is especially true for gender. The lack of female role models in STEM, occupations and degrees, means that girls have less people to look up to and then they often won't end up pursuing a field in STEM. And historically, we see that as well. Um, Not many women scientists are being talked about either. Um, On a day-to-day basis, if you ask someone who's not so much into science as well, or can you name a few female um, mathematicians or scientists, Chances are they won't be able to come up with um, even a few names. Hmm. But if you ask them, um, okay, can you tell me anything about male scientists, they will be able to come up with at least one or two names. And with this little representation of women scientists being discussed, it it has created a taboo for women, Um, women scientists, women technologists, women engineers, and women in these fields, because there's so few of them, they are then... Um, stereotypes, and and that can cause women to not want to pursue um, the, these degrees or um, occupations. Hmm. For example, um, I think it was um, in um, 2015. Uh, it was a software company, and um, they launched its um, recruitment marketing campaign, and 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 that featured an attractive female engineer, and it received a massive backlash from the public. People, um, well, actually. males were complaining that this is not what an engineer would look like so then that resulted in a social media campaign um, hashtag I look like an engineer in order to raise awareness about Mm -hmm. the issue and had there been more gender diversity in stem there would have been absolutely no need for something like that so definitely lack of role models for sure but uh, say somehow you do end up um, doing a STEM degree um, or, or you are you, you are choosing to do one, there are then many other hurdles, such as sexism in, in the STEM department, sexism in the workplace of um, STEM areas. And, and that is a critical issue in itself because that's a pipeline issue. The sexism that women face um, from their professors during their university or colleges, um, that can push them miles away from wanting to pursue a STEM major, and 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 then it will um it will it will stop them from working in those professions, and and it will stop them putting positive stories out there for other girls, young girls, their, their friends, or whoever is interested. And and there's not one, there's many stereotypes um of uh, on women in STEM, and and well the most popular one. Um, is that you know women have having less natural talent than men in STEM fields, which is completely untrue. And and now that is a fact that is based on research and that has been proven time and again. In fact, um, studies have shown that how women are treated in a specific country has a direct correlation with how well they perform on um say math tests. Um, so girls from Sweden, countries like Sweden and Iceland rest society treats women more like equals they did either as well or even better than boys on math tests meanwhile girls from countries like turkey where gender discrimination is is much greater they showed worse math results than boys and similarly um this is this is in school but if if you end up becoming um you end up doing a stem degree and then you are an adult woman who is trying to seek um a job a lot of people say that. You know, women, there are not many lecturers and, and in these professions. So women opting for not taking up, say, lectureship or, or leading a research project, which is very, very important, has nothing to do with them having less, less natural talent or not having the qualities to lead um, a, a project. It It has more to do with, again, proven by research, it has more to do with, Dissatisfaction with the departmental culture um advancement opportunities faculty leaderships and and research support whilst they're doing research um, so yeah th- these are the these are the things that stop women um, from pursuing it and then and once they are in it pursuing a, a career in it hmm. and and yeah
1: no thank you very much for that i i as far as the sexism issue is concerned i i know. Uh, unfortunately, we know that this, this kind of behavior does exist um, when it comes to your peers. But the fact that, you know, when you mention that it comes from the professors and from yeah. the lecturers, from the teachers, that is something which is, I think, a bit worrying, no doubt. Um, Tarima, I want to ask you, in your field as a post medicine student, do you feel that women are less represented in this field as well?
2: Well, um, it is getting better uh, in medicine I, I would say that it is getting better it's still not amazing it's still not equal it's about um I, it's 40 to 60 which is which is better than mm. what it was say, 10 years ago 20 years ago in in the field of medicine um, but where the where the big gap is which, what we need to bridge is specialist doctors, so there is a huge percentage gap in or in say specialist male doctors so specialists there is about fifty two to fifty five percent more specialist doctors surgeons registrars who are males compared to females, and they are then hindered from actually entering this profession and Um, it's how they're treated that actually shapes them wanting to go into that, um, becoming a specialist surgeon, becoming a registrar it it stops them and actually a few months ago I I read an article where um, it was an actual article uh, which was talking about how there are now more women becoming doctors and how that is a really bad thing and how um, they take maternity leave. They take uh, why it is not good for them to, you know, because they end up, they might end up doing part time for, for a certain time and they have, when they're having babies. Um, women in specialist careers, for example, wanting to become a surgeon, they're not naturally more suited to perform such, such a high risk, um, surgery or Mm. job things like that what is this what taxpayers are really paying for this is this negative connotation um towards women and if a young woman sees that she's not that's going to put doubts in her head she's not going to want to pursue something like that and in fact what should be talked about which again these are very well-reputed studies but again we don't hear much about it that um there were studies, um, I think it was 2017, uh, very latest, that reported that more than 1 million ender- elderly hospitalized patients were less likely to die within 30 days of admission or to be readmitted within 30 days of, ad- of discharge than those cared for by male physicians. So the author then es- estimated that if male physicians could achieve the same outcome as their female colleagues, there would actually be 32,000 fewer deaths each year among patients. So it, these are the things that these are the studies that should be out there, but we never really hear about them. Um, so now that settles the debate that actually there is no natural differences. That it is all to do with how much support you give, how much help you give, and how you how much flexible you are to females wanting to uh, pursue these careers. Hmm. So yeah.
1: Um. So what what do you think this kind of um. Yeah, this ratio or this, 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 the numbers. If you look at the number itself, and also, you know, not having these female role models in these STEM subjects, as well as you know, in in, in your field of work and and what you're studying as well. On the long run, what do you think that this, what could be the impact of this?
2: There are there are many there are many consequences to that the the long term exclusion of female subjects in in research as well as um, female not many females leading the research projects have consequences um, which we have been which f- females actually have been um, suffering through for for decades. Men and women have different biologies, and they both need to be put into perspective, and they both need to be studied when you're coming up with a a cure for a disease or when it comes to technology and and other things like that. Uh, Women's health has suffered for decades because of of the medical research was mostly actually... There were more studies. It it is not a small issue. It's more studies were actually performed on male rats because Mm. they thought that that was a standardized... um, Thing that would that can be put out in the public, but again, from female, male and female rats to male and female humans, there is different biology. There, some, everything is very, very different, and I mean, that's what we need to understand. And it is now widely acknowledged that you know countless women with heart diseases have been misdiagnosed in emergency rooms and, and been sent home and mm. and and they possibly died from heart attacks because for decades. What we now know wasn't known back then, and that women can exhibit different symptoms for men when it comes to cardiovascular diseases and similarly um, you know now in in this day and age when we are trying to solve some of the world's most vexing challenges in our time finding cures for diseases like cancer tackling global warming um, trying to, like, clean water and and, and with engineers making, um, you know, things like coming up with things like computers, cars, uh, medical equipment, most importantly, medical equipment. So we, you know... when women are not involved in the design of these products, then the needs of women, the body features of women, the desires unique to women, they get overlooked. Yeah. For example, I think um, it was some early voice recognition systems, uh, they were calibrated only to typical male voices. Mm. As a result, women's voices were literally unheard, even if it's an emergency, even if it's whatever is happening, female mm. voices were not acknowledged. And then I think uh, very recently as well. This is very recent. The predominantly um, male group of engineers they tailored the first generation of like automotive airbags. This research research has just come into life, and it was um, it was made to suit adult male bodies, and that resulted in many women and children's deaths, which could have been avoided. So these are the long-term consequences, yeah. and if yeah. we if we keep with this we're going to suffer consequences so with a more diverse workforce scientific and technological products and services we need to have solutions that are that can represent all of the users Hmm. Um, and because there's going to be consequences faced by all of us when there's two genders in the world, but mostly one of them gets to decide on what needs to be done, how it gets to be done, especially when it comes to research. So yeah, the, the, the consequences are long-term and they're not going anywhere if we don't have many women working in this field.
1: Absolutely. Lassadir, um, I want to ask you, in your um, first of all, how can we introduce more female role models in STEM uh, research and STEM careers? To younger girls, and also in your particular field, in you know genetics and stem cells, you know, as we said, you're doing a postgrad in medicine, also working in research. Um, if somebody's listening, if a young girl is listening, or if a parent is listening, what would you tell them?
2: I would tell them the growth mindset is very, very important from a very young age. You need to. You need to be having this conversation in your household and teachers and professors that they have the equal ability to be performing well in any subject that they want to. It's all to do with, again, the nature-nurture debate. If you help them shape their mindset, if you tell them that, okay, if you're not performing well in a test, it's not because... We often hear that in our households that, oh, a certain boy does well because, you know, boys are better at math. That's not true. It's because they've been wired to think that and that then comes out in their grades. So we need to tell them that, we need to support them and we need to tell them that if you want to achieve something, you can do it. It just requires hard work, motivation and you mm. need to support them. So making sure to tell your children and in classes that you are all capable of the exact same is Engineering is not a male profession. Being a doctor is not a female profession. You can be whatever you want to be and it's all it's it all comes down to how how you perceive yourself as well. So if we give that good um, if you project this positive thing that they can do whatever they want to do, then they will have that as well. And it has been shown that if you have a um, positive reflection about yourself, that you can achieve some, something, that it is more likely that you will be able to achieve. Something and again in in colleges and, and universities, I think there is more support in middle schools in middle school, but then when you come into A levels then it becomes actually more harder, The education becomes harder, and then you are faced with the choice that you want to do um, if, whether you want to be in stem or not that's where you need more support and that's where the support is missing so the teachers need to be saying that okay you can do this it's not that hard it's not that hard to find a job as a female and again but we need to practically show that as well so i think again when you go for a an interview when you see a panel of three males or four males it's daunting it's intimidating Mm. so having more females sitting in a panel having more females so then there's more mentorship programs there's more um you know, th- there's more uh, women in the faculty, then it is it, it, it becomes a bit less daunting for women than wanting to do uh, better in um, in STEM subjects. Mm. And I think um, we need to stop implying and making decisions for women because, in, for example, in medicine, the, uh, the consultants and registrars are sometimes past comments that okay you know you it will be better for you to become a gp because becoming a surgeon is a very very like very hard hours very difficult to perform so you you need to give them the autonomy to be able to decide for themselves and then making a more flexible work environment for them and instead of shaming them for taking a maternity leave or having a burden on the taxpayers, make it look a good make it look like a good thing that these women are doing all of these things. So yeah. I think that's how um, we can help more women to come into STEM. So basically, if we're targeting, women towards, uh, if we're targeting STEM towards women, there needs to be more women involved in the development
1: process. Wonderful. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, very, very powerful words and a few very interesting points that you made there. Thank for your time once again.
2: Thank you very
1: much. Thank you. Parents, the job of parents, I think what Sister Teddy mentioned there, again, it's, it's, a, it's a very crucial time uh, when you have, for example, daughters and how you impose, not impose, but how you instill that confidence in them, that that's up to the parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you can look at everything um, from from two sides, um, b- both ways. If, if, for example, if uh, and again, not just really to go, to girls or to boys, if there's anything that tell that that anyone tells you that, well, you may be not able to do that. You can either take it one way and say, mm, "Okay, well, maybe you're right," or you take it as a challenge mm-hmm. and you prove them wrong. I mean, this is something, again, depending on from person to person, it depends how you as a parent shape your child. Yep. Right? If you instill that confidence in them and if you make sure that they, they, they can take on the world, if you say so. Yeah. If you can say so, then um, it will give them that boost to go into these certain fields. And I was just Definitely. looking up right now. For us as Muslims, again, coming back to the point that we made before, there is no verse, there's no narration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that I have come across where you would get this idea that women cannot do certain things, that women shouldn't go into certain fields. Mm -hmm. I have not come across. If you look at the early history of Islam, you had... Muslim nurses and doctors who were there on the battlefields who were taking care of the companions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, mm-hmm. were attending to, to the wounds. Uh, just, I think, a couple of weeks ago, I, I did a show and I, I've come across a very interesting uh, fact there as well that there was a tent set up by one of the first nurses in early Islam outside the Prophet's mosque, outside the Mashin Nabi.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It was a permanent tent. And it wasn't just about uh, the, the the physical wounds that people were having, but she was also responsible for, or you know, as a social care worker, as a mental health uh, advocate, and wasn't just about flicking wounds or, or putting band aids on it. I'm not sure if they had band aids back then, but um, it, it was a multifaceted role that that the, the, this uh, companion of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him had. Mm-hmm. And again, when you look at other extraordinary, extraordinary Muslim women or Muslim role model, female role models, mm. you have Fatima al fihri mm. who came up with the first university ever, yep. founded by a Muslim woman. And I'm sure they taught more than just what are some typical women course. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have higher education, which was introduced by a woman yeah. in Faiz at that time, mm-hmm. then what what do, what does that tell you? There is no limits.
0: There is no limits. I mean knowledge is not limited knowledge, to woman.
1: Exactly, and it's not an option to, as to, you said. Yeah, men, the, yeah. the, the, the narration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, about you know, acquiring knowledge is a duty upon every Muslim man and every Muslim, it's not an option.
3: Hmm.
1: It's a duty upon you. Exactly. And if you don't do that, then you're completely disobeying the command of the Holy Prophet. Hmm. What does exactly. it tell you about you
0: being a Muslim? Exactly, exactly. I was I was telling earlier as well that the first verse, yeah, actually the first, in yeah, uh, yeah. you know, a word, a word, yeah, is ikra, yeah. right? And it's also known. That this is not also only limited to the Holy Quran, of course. Hmm. That you know, read the Quran, try to understand. Of course, the Quran is a universal book, which is for everyone, yeah. right? And and for ev- you know, it has all the important. Topics that we need as human beings, um, but of course, uh, it's 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 something which is for everyone that read and 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 attain knowledge from, and then it's for every every everyone. And this this uh, um, this woman that you spoke about, Fatima bint Muhammad al-Fihriya, uh, she you know converted a mosque. You know, apparently it was a mosque before. Hmm. But then, you know, mosques back in the days, they, they were used for many purposes, of Communal course. Ab, yeah. Yes, and of course, uh, many other mosques were built as well. And this, you know, uh, her starting a university as being the first Muslim uh, uh, a woman in, 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 in the history um, shows that anything is possible um, and, and by by the by, by, women, and it's only li- not limited to men.
1: And there, there you have it. I just found out that you had uh, Islamic studies, astronomy, languages, and sciences. Mm-hmm. These things were taught there. Okay, wow. Well. And she came, uh, look, again, this, what we said before, she came from an educated family. Mm. She migrated with her father, and she came from an educated family, along with her sister, this is what she achieved. Yeah so the 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 backbone or or the the early education and the early support that you receive from your family from your father, from your mother, from your siblings mm-hmm. from your family in general that has a huge impact on how you see the world and how you develop and how you walk the walk um, afterwards when it, when it 's required
0: mm, exactly.
1: Our next guest with us is on the line. She's a second-year mechanical engineering student. Zainab Fatima is with us on the line. Sister Zainab, assalamu alaikum, and welcome to The Drive Time Show.
4: Wa Thank you for having me.
1: JazakAllah for joining us today. Now, um, studying mechanical engineering, I'm sure you've come across some heavy mathematics. Uh, now, when the Social Mobility Commissioner mentioned that girls that sway away from maths A-level is due to them finding it too hard... How how did that make you feel?
4: Um, firstly, it was um, very upsetting because um, I did math A-level myself and uh, when we were in a classroom with both boys and girls, I personally never felt that the boys were doing something that the girls can't, yeah. um, whether it is the mock exam results or any class test or anything like a normal quiz, that a surprise quiz or something. The boys were doing equally as good as girls and the girls, in fact, did achieve the top marks in majority of subjects. I'm sure test. they did. <laughs> Similarly in physics as well. Um I remember like probably because they didn't put in enough effort or something yeah.
3: but
4: it was the girls who did the best. And um so there wasn't a marked difference to be honest with you. And mm. uh, sometimes when people do say that it's because um everybody is mixed ability both boys and girls. Nobody's perfect. So nobody really understands anything to 100%. Mm. And um, being in a classroom, for example, like statistics, which a majority of us hated, but um, I was never good at it. But you can't say that I can't do stats because I'm a girl, yeah. because there were boys who didn't understand it either. So this perception that girls can't do it because they are girls is very wrong, because nobody's perfect.
1: So what... in some places... No, please continue. Sorry. Sorry.
4: And in some places where girls, I think they do lack, I think it's because they've never been encouraged to do maths. mm so, um, if you're told constantly that you can't do it, your brain hears whatever you say. If your teachers or your parents or the people you trust or the people who you rely on are constantly telling you, then it reduces your chance of success in this field and ultimately your likelihood of wanting to choose those subjects. Hmm. So, not just maths, but everything in the world. So, um, Rachel Riley, the TV presenter, I remember her saying that there's no reason for men to be better at maths than women. It's just about our own perceptions, and that has stuck with me ever since I heard it. And it's probably one of the reasons why I'm studying mechanical engineering today.
1: Mm, wonderful. And I think that that was also the question that I was going to ask you. That, why do you, where do you think people may have this 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 perception? Where where do you think that comes from? That, uh, you know, it's something which is harder on the girls. Of course, as you know, we have two female guests today, who are clearly an example that it's not true. So what may make people think that it is?
4: Um, Well, I think society has low expectations from girls. And uh, my dad always says to me that if they let a large number of women enter into mechanical engineering field, they're very insecure that the girls will go forward than men. (laughs) And they will have to take a back seat. So maybe they're not comfortable enough. Personally, I've faced this myself as well. When I talk to somebody that I want to graduate and work as a mechanical engineer, they always say that work, wearing hard hats and work boots is not for girls. And I should go into like an educational sector or something other than physically doing it in mechanical engineering or like mm. teach math, perhaps. And uh, other than this, whenever like you talk about maths or anything related to physics or maths or STEM, We're always told that this is a very male-dominant sector. Mm. And the the biggest question I'm asked is, how are you going to survive with so many men around you at work? Mm. Um, So I think when I'm actually there and working, I will be able to tackle that problem. But when you're constantly told that um, this is going to be a problem for you, it becomes very daunting. And I've seen girls who have changed degrees after the first year because they weren't able to handle the pressure of uh, thinking that they will have to work in a male-dominant workplace. Hmm. So I did a work experience, I remember, last summer, and uh, I entered the building, and there were, I think, seven or eight middle-aged men, and I was the only girl there. But, uh, alhamdulillah, thanks to Allah, I was able to work through the whole week, and uh, they really enjoyed having me there.
1: Hmm. Uh, On on a personal level, if you don't mind me asking, I know for 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 girls we we've seen and we've heard about the struggle and you you just mentioned some of it as well as aseterin was talking about it as well but then also for you know something that maybe you can enlighten us for muslim girls who are in these stem careers um you know with with the hijab and you know with the muslim attire keeping your religion in mind as well does that give you strength does that give you more confidence is that a challenge and how do you overcome that challenge for, for 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 the you know the female listeners out there muslim female listeners
4: um i think first of all the biggest thing is praying for yourself um because i remember the first day i went i was really nervous and the next day i didn't want to go to that work experience because i was the only girl wearing a headscarf
3: hmm.
4: um in an english countryside so that was very difficult but i believe uh, wearing a headscarf gives you a different kind of power which people who don't wear it won't be able to understand because it's it creates like a boundary for others as well which they know that they can't step into Hmm. and you know that you are protected in that environment like physically it's just a piece of cloth but it it has a lot of meaning and it holds a lot of power in it yeah if that makes sense
1: sure i'm sure i'm sure um and also what for you to mind me ask, what 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 made you personally decide to to study mechanical engineering? So when you walked into those those you know that work experience, you had these male dominated environment. Um, what kept you going?
4: Uh, I think firstly it was um the thought that uh, because we are humans and we are uh, Alhamdulillah we are Muslims, so it is our responsibility to not only fulfill the rights of Allah the Almighty but also to fulfill the rights of His creations. And um, that was a building uh, sector, so they were building um, buildings and they were fixing the projects that were already ruined by other builders. So I thought to myself that uh, the IAAAE, hmm. which is the International Association of Ahmed the Architects and Engineers, um, they have helped so many generations and they have changed so many lives through their projects like Model Village or Water for Life and um, Alternative Energy. That that has become a reason for many people to continue living. Some people might have wanted to end their lives who have now got the facilities, which people in the West do as well. Hmm. So that's a very big thing. And that uh, has been an inspiration for me ever since I found out, out about this association. And I think another reason is um, that I'm very passionate about fixing things and opening up um, different mechanical devices to learn more about them and um, for me, uh, mechanical engineering has provided a different set of lenses which I look at the world through. But for example, a daily use thing like um, you've got a heavy door and you need to install a door stopper. So where do you install it? Many of us know that we install it like furthest away from the hinges but none of us are aware that this is the basic concept of moments mm. which we have been taught in a classroom. So it gives us um, transferable skills which helps us solve many challenges in our life
1: interesting so where would you place that door stopper then close to the hinges then I guess no <laughs> for this to me see that's the difference between male and women thank you so much uh, sisters and we wish you all the best for the future Um, and uh thank you very much once again for your time Jazakallah Assalamualaikum. thank
4: you Jazakallah family
1: Wow. Um, So there you have it. Um, Very, very interesting conversation there with uh, Zainab Fatima, who's a second year mechanical engineering student.
0: Very interesting, uh, you know, discussion that we had, definitely. And the way she explained as well that she got inspired by IAAA that, yes, men are helping out building, you know, wells and and, uh, model villages, and so many other things in uh, real you know, villages in Africa and other uh, poorer countries uh, to help up poorer people. And what yeah. can women do? Yeah. And she stepped in and she said, "No, and everyone can do it, even even women." I think
1: it's it's the motivation as well, mm-hmm. the goal that you have. Uh, this is a very noble goal for a Muslim. That's basically it. I mean, yes, we do have to feed our families, we do have to live in this world, but. Again, from from we know that, that the knowledge that has been given to us, the teachings that have been given to us by the Holy Prophet, by the Holy Qur'an, there, there's a little bit more to that, isn't it? Hmm. That you have an obligation and you have a duty towards your loved ones, of course, but mm-hmm. also to those that you don't know. Yep, You have an obligation towards your neighbors, you t- towards those neighbors that you know and towards those neighbors that you don't know and also to, to humanity at large, as she said. That one part, as we mentioned here on the drive time or on the voice of Islam quite a lot, that one aspect is the relationship that we have with God Almighty. Mm-hmm. And that is not going anywhere. That's between you and God Almighty. No. But he also said that if you wrong my creation, that's, that's a, that's a grave sin. That's not yep. something that I will forgive. So the service to mankind, which again is a way to people's hearts, mm-hmm. is a way to bring people closer to God Almighty as well. And yourself. As and well. yourself as well. You experience, and How many people have I spoken to who work for IEEE or yeah. Humanity First who told us, and then just recently who went to to, to the Ukraine border, mm-hmm. they said, we've seen, we've experienced God by serving mankind. Wow. And it was, I mean, f- people who went from here, people that I know, youngsters, yeah. young Khuddam who went from the Korean area and they said that you wouldn't believe the stories that we, we have to tell you. <laughs> they've seen and they've experienced. They've 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 known for fact that God does exist by by serving.
0: Now, you know, when you speak about that, how do you? No, know, uh, how? What was it that they experienced of the existence of God? I think it's the it's the,
1: the the how God answers your prayers. Okay. For you look at humanity first. You look at IEEE. The mm. means that we have at our disposal are not. Multi-billion-dollar uh, exactly, yeah. companies, or, mm-hmm. or, or, um, you know, pe- people who have lots of money. Mm. It's all funded by the community, and we have very, very limited means and resources. Yeah. But apart from that, we have a huge amount of prayers of, you know, His Holiness the yes. the, the current Caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community, mm-hmm. his guidance, his leadership, and that I think is something that puts us on the edge. Mm um that's something that that gives us that extra uh boost that extra blessing hmm. and the ways in which God helps you in those times and in those very limited um you know with with those very limited means that's something I think where what what they experienced hmm. you don't have much money you need some some things right now right there it's an emergency and within moments god provides God
0: provides and, and and the intention as well. God yeah. sees the intention of that person that yes, I you know I, I'm I'm here to serve humanity for the sake of God. Yeah. And when you have that in mind and you see that God helps you from, from the you know uh, nowhere yeah. right, then this is the moment when you think yes, God is with me. That's uh, wonderful, wonderful indeed. Um, I hope you've um, you know found it interesting for uh to listen for the first hour um in the second hour we will be uh, slightly discussing about uh, a different topic um and that will be about um disasters uh, natural disasters uh, god willing so uh, here is the four five o'clock news you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Assalamu and welcome
1: back to the Draft Tom Show here on The Voice of Islam. Today with myself, Raza and Zakaria, we are going to move on to the second topic for today. But don't forget, there's still the question about the first topic that we're asking you on our Instagram story. So go to Voice of Islam UK on Instagram. And the question is, is maths harder For girls, yes or no. And as Zakaria mentioned in the first half, there's a very, very strong kind of um, comments that we have received. So, Zakaria, to all of you. Keep them coming and we'll include them into the show today, Inshallah. Now, moving on to the second topic, and that's about natural disasters. Why do they happen? According to the United Nations, natural disasters Just to start off with, are defined as a natural process or phenomena that may cause loss of life, injury, or other health impacts, property damage, loss of livelihoods and services, social and economic disruption, or environmental damage. There's a broad definition, there's a very, very many things, quite a lot of things. That are included in that, His Holiness Hazit Mizamusun Ahmed, the current head of the head of the Muslim Community and the Caliph, uh, the Fifth Caliph, to the Promised Messiah of the Age, on whom be peace, he said that at at a Humanity First International Conference in 2018, that catastrophic natural disasters are continuing to occur across the globe, wreaking havoc and causing indescribable devastation and grief. Thus, unquestionably, the world we are living in is extremely volatile and turbulent. Now, there are many other types of natural disasters, including, and you've heard them, tsunamis, typhoons, hurricanes, volcano uh, eruptions, and and many, many more. Um, And with many parts of the world, including Bangladesh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, facing natural disasters such as floods and earthquakes, today we will explore the main causes of them, including climate change, and also look at the theological link. Are all natural disasters maybe a sign of divine punishment? A question that a lot of people do ask and a lot of people do raise when it comes to natural disasters after you've had an earthquake, after you've had a tsunami or whatnot. So this question does arise. Are they all a punishment from God? Is God trying to send a message maybe? And what is the link between that? All of that we're going to include in today's program, inshallah. So do stay tuned. Afghanistan, if you look at some of the recent natural disasters, were recently reported a 6.1 magnitude earthquake, which you might have come across in the news, causing at least 1,000 people to die and 1,500 or more people even injured. Now the earthquake did not just affect Afghanistan, but it has also affected Pakistan and Tajikistan as well,
0: isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, and um, uh, yeah, in, in, uh, the earthquakes, and uh, recently we had um, the, the the floodings as well in India and Bangladesh, and you know millions of people actually they uh, they were you know stranded, they didn't have any houses anymore to live. And literally thousands of people uh, also died because of you know this natural disaster. Sometimes we think it's a uh, you know uh, of course it's sometimes when these happen, um, uh, humanity or come together. To find a solution for these, uh, you know, kind of disasters, mm. and 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 the reason behind, for example, in Bangladesh, uh, the reason behind so many floodings is, uh, is because Bangladesh is lower, the 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 uh, lower than the um, sea level. Mm. Uh, similarly, Holland and and Bangladesh, these are the two countries. Now, Bangladesh hasn't done much to fight this. Yeah. Uh, they are trying but when you look at holland the, the 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 ground level is pretty much similar like bangladesh and in the history you see that they had many floodings and many mm-hmm. people have um you know passed away as well they they they've lost their lives but then you know of course they did something so we can learn a lot of things by challenges by things that happen um and and, and of course uh, and it reminds us as well that uh, maybe we should turn towards God mm. um, and and uh, you know sometimes we only only think of ourselves and we should also think of you know uh, why this, this might happen now how are natural disasters caused uh, this is also a question that you might be asking uh, you know for example you have earthquakes uh, the world is split up into you know, tecto- tectonic plates. Mm. And tectonic plates constantly move around the earth. And occasionally, these tectonic plates can cause friction between the plates um, and they're trying to move, but then get stuck. This friction is something that causes a sudden violent shaking of the ground. And this is... Leads to the earthquakes And and, and, mm. and this is also something which is You know, mentioned in the Holy Quran as well That the mountains that you see You think they are stationary While they are constantly floating Like the floating of clouds Such is the work of Allah Who made everything firm and strong Chapter 27, verse 89 And from this we learn as well That, you know, the, the earth itself, the world uh, you know, it's um, uh, the ground where we, you know, where we're standing at the moment. Yeah. So not the, not, not the. Not talking about the the oceans, but the ground is actually moving. And since day one, we, we know that the the map looked, you know, very, very different yeah. <laughs> to uh, what it is today. To, to what it is today, right? So, um, and and so we we learn that it's constantly moving, and this is what. Causes, of course, you know, sometimes earthquakes in you know some places in the world, um, and this also proves that you know the, the 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 verse also shows that something that previously people didn't know, but now everyone knows, and yeah. this also shows that something which is written 1400 years ago, people didn't even have an idea of, you know, the the, the whole land hmm. when you're moving. Now we know it through. Uh, through the Holy Quran, that uh, indeed this is something from God Almighty, and
1: who knows how many? Like, dek- i sh- What do you mean? Who knows? There's a. There's a. There's a lot more secrets to the world that we still haven't discovered, which we do find in the Holy Quran. Uh, because ultimately, that's something that we believe it's a revealed word of God Almighty to the Holy Prophet, Peace and Blessings of Allah be upon him, who created this world, so he knows all of the blueprint of this entire planet and the universe. Now, according to when it comes to flooding, according to the World Health Organization, flooding is probably the most frequent type of natural disaster to occur. And that's when an overflow of water submerges the land and floods are often caused by heavy rainfall, rapid snowmelt, or a storm surge from a tropical cyclone or tsunami in a coastal area. Or It can occur because of poor maintenance. Now, poor or insufficient drainage networks. If, let's say, rainfall is heavy and then the water is not able to pass through the drains, that can also cause flooding and lead to flooding. Then you also have inadequate maintenance of watercourses. So you have blocked pathways for the water to drain by. If you have, you know, if you're in a shower or a sink at home and you know there's something stuck in there, the water will stay there. So that basically, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, this is a very, very layman's. Um, simple layman's explanation of how a flood does occur. But we are fortunate enough that we will be speaking to a number of guests who are a lot more familiar with these things than we are. Our first guest for today is with us online. He's a professor of risk and disaster reduction at the University College in London, David Alexander. So Professor David Alexander is with us online. He has taught emergency planning and management for 42 years as well as written a number of books, including Natural Disaster. Uh, Professor Alexander, good afternoon, peace upon you, and welcome to the Dr. Show. Good afternoon.
5: Thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much for joining us today. Now, in your book, Natural Disasters, you speak about the importance of preparedness. What can countries and the, and, and individuals be doing to prepare for a natural disaster, in particular an earthquake and and, and maybe a flooding as well?
5: Right, well, there's actually an extremely large amount of things that could be done for this. In the first place, a country needs a decent civil protection system. In other words, one that is able to respond to these things when they occur. That, as much as possible, should be participatory, which means that you as a citizen should be asked what you think ought to be done about this and what you should be asked to consider what your role in it is. Um, volunteers are often extremely important in this but it is better that they be organised, equipped, trained incorporated volunteers uh, who in their organisations are part of the system so we really need to develop the system so that we're ready to respond and of course at the same time we've got to try to reduce the risks involved in these things Hmm. it can be done, it's expensive it's time consuming, it eats up resources But the results
1: are very positive, Professor Alexander. Following from that, do developing countries uh, do like does their infrastructure make them more vulnerable to a natural disaster?
5: Absolutely. Um, One example sticks in my mind. It's rather old, 1998, and it was when Hurricane Mitch um, went across the Caribbean. And when it arrived at Nicaragua in Central America, it set back development by about 20 years. The number of bridges that were washed out, the number of roads that were damaged. In uh, in, uh, 2017, something very similar happened in Puerto Rico with Hurricane Maria. For example, parts of Puerto Rico didn't re- regain electricity supplies for at least nine months after that.
3: Yeah.
5: So in point of fact, the amount of damage to be done and the cost of it can be absolutely enormous. Uh, in a country like the United States, when disaster occurs, it's really more than a tiny fraction of one percent of those domestic product. When it occurs in a developing country, it could be more than two percent, or it could be as much as fifty percent mm. in in some very particular cases.
1: Now, you you are presently working also for the government, uh, for the UK government, on on risk management mm-hmm. issues, and also. Uh, for the eu scientific advice mechanism here in the right. uk as well as in 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 the EU we've thank God apart I think from flooding again not downplaying it is it's bad enough i've I've experienced it myself to be honest one time um what what are some of the things that people hear at home do they do we take this kind of uh, natural disaster and and earthquakes we don't really think about that do we
5: I suppose we don't. Well, I think about it all the time, of course, but then again, that's my professional (laughs) defamation, as it's called. Um, However, we really ought to think about it. In the first place, it's not really a question of flooding, which is about the most widespread hazard in Britain. Currently, we have a heat wave. Mm. There are all sorts of consequences with that. We have increasing dependency on electricity, but when Storm Arwen hit... There are large numbers of electricity outages. Fortunately, they are mostly fairly short, although in some places six or seven days. But it is quite possible for the national grid to collapse. And that would take, assuming no damage, two weeks to get back. So um, increasing dependency on electricity means that we really are reliant on our uh, infrastructure, our critical infrastructure, and the whole lot is driven by electricity. If you take away electricity, then you have real problems in just about every sector, Hmm. fuel, transportation, food, banking, the lot. Um, I think that in Britain, we have a civil protection system that is fragmentary. It's certainly got some good things about it, but by and large, it's just not knitted together well enough. It's not present enough at the local level. Let's bear in mind that with climate change, we actually probably need, in in all countries of the world a civil protection system, a response and capability system that's about an order of magnitude better than what we've got now because of what we'll have to face up. Every every year it seems to be a record year for, uh, for flooding or rain or snow or heat or, or whatever. Um, and I fear that that is going to continue. Uh, we currently have drought conditions across much of Europe and that is going to be an increasing problem for agriculture for example mm. and it will lead to the rationing of water supplies um, and and uh, it could be worse next year
0: mm-hmm. uh, uh, Dr. Uh, David Alexander Uh, As you know that we are discussing um, natural disasters today and we are focusing on earthquakes and floodings, um, especially due to the recent events. How are these particular natural disasters actually measured?
5: right um by the way we tend not to use the term natural disasters anymore all right i wrote a book with that (laughs) since then it puts me in a somewhat difficult position but since then we tend to call them natural hazard impacts because in fact as disasters there is nothing particularly natural about them Hmm. uh the trigger event is natural but actually there is quite good research which suggests that in the 20 most earthquake prone countries of the world the principal cause of disaster is not actually the shaking itself, it's corruption in the building industry, Mm. meaning shoddy construction and buildings that therefore collapse when the ground does shake. So um, natural disasters has become a bit of a a suspect uh, term, although personally I've sidestepped that by saying there's nothing more natural than the human tendency to cause disasters. (laughs) However um so na- about natural natural what is
1: a natural hazard moments what was it
5: well we've got na- natural hazard impact uh, impacts. Um, you've got flood drought um heat wave extreme cold uh snowfall earthquake tsunami tornado, um, I think in the end there are about 80 different possible causes, lightning, the lot, um, all of which are in some way problematic here and there around the world. Mm. Um, Earthquakes, we really need to measure in terms of the damage they do and the casualties they cause between 15 and 30 earthquakes a year are actually serious events in disaster terms Mm -hmm. Uh, and a small portion of those that do occur cause casualties occasionally we have a very large number of casualties. And there are about 20 countries that are most at risk of this. Or Let's remember that earthquakes do occur in the UK and have occurred in London. In fact, I have felt earthquakes in London, and that has been confirmed by the seismological evidence. I don't think there's any reason to lose any sleep in London in that these are pretty small events. But nevertheless, there are earthquakes and occasionally even damaging earthquakes in the UK. Wow. Uh, The UK also has damaging tornadoes, a significant number of them, moreover. There was one in central Birmingham some years ago that was quite significant. Nobody was uh, seriously hurt, fortunately, but nevertheless, it was a bit of a wake-up call as to what can occur. Um, So I think we do need to take these things seriously. We've got a lot of talent in the UK and a lot of ability to organise However, what we haven't actually got is the organization, Mm. or not enough of it, Uh, especially at the local and the regional level. It's all far too centralized. Mm. But of course, when a disaster occurs, the theater of operations is always the local level, regardless of how large it is. Even if you've got 13 countries around the Indian Ocean Basin having a disaster, such as the tsunami of 2004, it's still a local affair of fishing your villages or tourist resorts and so on. This hmm. is why we need a local organisation. So
1: so from what you're saying is, I mean, we usually what people do is we limit certain of these natural hazard impacts to certain areas in the world. For example, if you speak about tornado. I would never think of the UK I would automatically it, immediately go to the US um right. earthquakes it's not something that we we associate with the UK or ever I've never experienced one here in the UK at least or ever would think about you know that this could happen but as you said they're minor they're not you know as damaging but they can occur so it's not just specific to certain parts of the world and specific areas right. is it yeah
5: Well, if you live in the UK, why not um, get onto the Environment Agency website and see whether you live in a floodable area? Oh, okay. Uh, Presumably if you live fairly low down or anything. But if you take London, for example, in London we've got river flooding, which is a particular problem in parts of Hammersmith and Fulham. Hmm. We've got surface flooding, which is a problem in all sorts of places, including night springs. Can you imagine (laughs) Harrods flooded? Well, nearly, well, nearly. We've got groundwater flooding in Croydon, so uh, it isn't a minor problem in point of yeah. fact. But you can find out about it.
1: Sure. All right. Interesting. Um, Professor Alexander, I want to ask you: forty-two years of experience. In the last forty-two years, climate change, I'm sure, has had an impact on these natural hazard impacts. Um, how have you seen that? How how alarming do you think? This whole development has been over the past 40 years since you've been doing this work.
5: Well, I don't like to be alarmist, but unfortunately, I think it is a very significant problem. Forest fires or wildfires, we prefer to call them, are particularly um, a problem, as we are seeing uh, in a manner that was very much expected this summer in all sorts of places, the Western US, Southern Europe, but also in Britain, we get wildfires. Hmm. Um, in the Pennines, for example, I see we're going to get more and more of them. Um, at the moment, I'm in Italy, and I'm speaking to you from central Italy, and there have been some pretty gigantic wildfires in the last two days. Um, and I think the the problem, therefore, is increasing. Mm. Um, and, of course, it's worst of all where you have wildfires, the urban-rural interface, in other words, where you're putting at risk factories, houses, roads, Uh, shops and and schools and all the rest of it. Uh, So these are things we need to start taking a little more seriously. If we do, then we can get all of this under control. But we're really going to have to take it seriously.
1: Wonderful. Professor Alexander, thank you very much for your time, sir. We wish you all the best. Uh, Stay safe in Italy. And uh, thank you very much for your time once again. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. There you have it. That was Professor David Alexander speaking to us from Italy. He's a prof- he's a professor of risk and disaster reduction at the University College London and taught emergency planning and management for forty two years. That's quite the experience, isn't it?
0: Yes, uh, that's a long experience, of course. Um, you know, one one thing that I always think in in the UK we. We don't experience any type of natural disasters, uh, not especially in 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 the in London. But uh, what when it happens, it comes suddenly, isn't it? Mm. And we're not really prepared. So I think that's something that we I need to. I think just do.
1: recently, when you had a couple of months ago, when the areas up north didn't have electricity uh, for 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 days um uh, i don't remember the last what was it there was a storm what was it called? um but anyways it was it was in in up north and that gives you to think as i said it can happen at any time yeah and it can happen very very quickly even if you live in areas where you think yeah well we should be good we should be okay but any th- Type of drainage, or any type of blockage in, in the in the sewers or whatever it is, mm. that that can just uh, cause huge damage. Yes, it does. And I remember, I'll I'll tell you, I was in, I think I was year four or five. Yeah, the, I should be year five, five or six, something sometimes between four and six, and there was uh, this was in no, November ish. We're talking about Novemberish time in in, in Germany, and uh, was was uh, heavy rainfall a couple of days, and then we saw how the level, So there was a there was a river that went through the city where I lived, mm-hmm. and we saw the river day by day going higher and higher. Mm-hmm. So the water was getting murky. It was like you know the the, the speed was was going faster and every time we crossed that bridge it was a scary thing to look at but then again you never think about anything could happen I mean we lived let's say 10 minutes walking distance from that place mm-hmm. from, from, from that river but then all of a sudden in the morning um, we saw water coming out of the the, the the sewers again didn't think about much that day we decided not to go to school so we sat there, and uh, one by one, things were just turned off. So first, the gas went. Okay. Then the electricity went. And we still had the phone line, because that's connected to something else. I mean, it's a, it's a different kind of whatever it is. Um. But then that got cut off as well. And... The, the water level was rising, right? Like by the hour. And I think, so eight o'clock, eight thirty, no, seven thirty, we used to go to school. So seven thirty, I looked outside the window. I saw the the water just bubbling out of the, 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 the sewers. And I think it was by noon, which is like literally four or five hours, uh, you couldn't see the cars no more and we're, we were living on the third floor yeah you couldn't see the cars, so the roads were just flooded it was water everywhere and I think it took them another five to six hours so around six five six-ish when the army came yeah with their big trucks and they evacuated the people from their homes that's crazy and I still remember that up to this day so as I said within Hours this happens within hours, yeah. so you had a mix of natural rainfall, um, then you had a, a combination of that as a natural rainfall, then mismanagement when it comes to planning, when it comes to mm-hmm. the, the building and construction of the water bed, the, the riverbed yeah. and I'm sure something else um, that led to these events. Yeah, I mean And after that, see this is where developing countries <laughs> after that it happened one more time. Yeah. But never again. And this we're talking about almost twenty years now.
0: So uh, the reason for this not happening again is it because of you know, they they, they reconstructed
1: it? the entire area. Okay of that river that flowed through the city, that part that, flew th- uh, that, that flowed through the city at least. So you have these barriers. Yeah. They, they built barriers. Whenever they knew that the level was rising, you mm-hmm. could pull up those barriers and nothing would happen. Okay. And uh, I'm sure they've done a lot more other things. But I still remember that even if you go there now, you have certain uh, buildings that have these markings on it that on this day, I think it was 19... 19- 95 96 mm-hmm. God knows uh, w- There was a flooding And this is how high the water came Wow Like in downtown In the main city where the shops are Everything was destroyed
0: Yeah I, completely I remember Completely gone A year ago I think Oh a few yeah, years ago, Belgium as well Belgium as well and yeah. and and a part of uh Germany happened as well yeah, yeah, I remember some of our family members their house was destroyed, mm. the first floor mm. at least everything that was there mm. got destroyed. Mm. nothing is reusable, and I mean they 've never had you know experienced something like that before. Mm. I, I don't know what changes they've made to the government but you know the way Germany handled it and is also famous I guess uh, like uh, Japan that after you know World War 1 and 2 uh pretty much you know everything was yeah. you know destroyed and the way they you know built everything back in few, uh, few yeah. years that also shows that you know they're ready to in you know, No, it, it happens uh, where, for where, any challenges. Where where they
1: want, it happens really quick. Yeah. One thing I want to say here, I the horror that you experience, it's you cannot describe it. You cannot put it into words. That whole atmosphere. I could, I, I think, because there was some some flats within the house that were running on on uh, on on oil um, you know, fuel. Mm-hmm. You, for a long time, you could still smell the oil mm-hmm. or the, the petrol within you know, the, the hallways of, yeah. of, of the flat. And it was a scary feeling. So it was like wind. It was dark. It was cold. And then you had streets flooded. Yeah. As high as, I don't know, five, six feet, even more. You couldn't see the cars anymore. Mm. Like in the morning, I could see the cars. And five hours later, the cars were gone we're underwater and experiencing that for the first time it it gives you that you know you experience that awe and the respect that you should have of nature yeah. and the awe that that incident puts in your heart tells you that you're nothing you're insignificant exactly we as humans we think we might be the craziest we might be so advanced we might be so Uh, good at certain things, but we're not. Yeah, you know, water can just draw destroy everything. Imagine what other things can do. Exactly. You have earthquakes. You have tornadoes. You have typhoons. You have blizzards. You have, God knows what. And that should give you to think that look, it can happen anytime, anywhere. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: God, the Creator, we, I mean, we're going to talk about this question as well that He's not responsible for these things all the time yeah yes i mean it is within the laws of nature he controls everything mm-hmm. but certain things are our doing it's our mistakes and it's easy to blame it to, you know on god but there's a lesson to be learned in these things yeah, yeah? that how do you what kind of relationship do you have with your creator hmm. what kind of relationship do you have with the do you believe in god and if so what is that relationship hmm. And in those times, in those moments, in any kind of moment of horror or, or or disaster or problems or any kind of affliction that you have, nothing can help you hmm. except and apart from that relationship that you have with God Almighty. Mm-hmm. He, only He can give you that comfort, only He can give you that... Uh, stability that 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 safety and that security and the peace at heart yeah. that whatever is happening is happening for a reason mm-hmm. and I just hope I come out of this alive
0: yeah certainly certainly and we've learned this that even prophets you know many mm. prophets they have experienced this yeah. and this is in the history you cannot deny that you know they have warned us of the disasters natural disasters that will happen and this is because we were forgetting God Almighty. Now, one of the things, uh, uh, Imam Raza, is that uh, the climate change, um, mm. it, that's something which increases the chances of natural disasters, um, of course. And there has been much discussion recently about whether climate change has led to an increase in the number of natural disasters to cure. Uh now, according to Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, uh, the world is heating up and has become progressively uh, warmer since 1800, uh, 1850. And in the first two decades of the 21st century, the temperature um, from 0.84 Celsius increased to 1.10 Celsius. Um and and, and, and compared to the 1850s to the 1900s, Mm. so in in, in 50 years. And the IPCC, uh, as in the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, has found that human-induced climate change is already uh, affecting many weather and climate extremes. So this means that the increase in temperature impacts uh, the number the frequency and the duration of mm. natural hazards. However, it is hard to see what the exact impact climate change has uh, has had on natural disasters. Mm. Now, about this um, and, and, and about the natural disasters that we have, um, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, uh, may Allah helper, the head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, um he also spoke about this, and he says that um, today natural disasters are prevalent, and there is destruction all around. Storms and hurricanes are occurring in U.S. and as as you mentioned, I and mean, whenever we think <laughs> of storms and hurricanes, yeah. uh, it usually happens in U.S. But it could happen other places as well. He says that at a Storms and hurricanes are occurring in the US at a greater f- frequency than before. Various inhabitations of the world are at a threat of being submerged by water due to the global warming.
1: And that tells you and 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 you know he highlighted that people that we actually need to do more to combat the issue of climate change in chapter 51. Verse 57, God, God Almighty states and I have not created the jinn and the men but that they may worship me. Now if we continue to damage the world that God Almighty has created for us through pollution um, then this acts as a barrier from what we were set on the earth to do. Mm-hmm. Meaning to pray and to worship God Almighty. And again it's not just about you know being in the mosque all day long or fasting all year long. It's 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 a lot more than that. Worship has so many different facets, has so many different angles to it, has so many different versions of it. Um, and it doesn't specifically, when when we talk about Muslims, it doesn't specifically only refer to the five daily prayers. Mm-hmm. There's you know worship comes in so many ways, and service to mankind is one of them. Being mm-hmm. good to your neighbors is one of them. Being good to your own family is one of them. Um And as I said, so many different angles and different shapes. So keeping this in mind, as I said, life is unpredictable. You never know what is going to happen when you leave the door, when you leave your house and when you step outside the door. Uh, and anything could be happening at any time. That should not, that, that should always keep our focus on the fact that we need to set that record straight. We hmm. need to be in the green or in, in in the grey whatever it is or in the green with that relationship that we have with God Almighty yeah. speaking about what factors can increase the vulnerability of the effect of natural disasters when you look at earthquakes if you have highly populated areas of course there's going to be more casualties because of the dense infrastructure if there's a thousand people living in an area where there should be only 500 or you know 200 then of course if something happens the, the 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 casualty, uh, and the casualties will be a lot higher, will be mm. a lot more. If you have limited escape routes, having nowhere to evacuate to when buildings are likely to cause blockades, that can also increase vulnerability. Mm. And the biggest downside of earthquakes is that when destruction does take place, it can block routes. So the more you have, the more options... You have to escape. Now, it can be harming this specifically. Can be harming to people who need air, or uh, who need aid or medical attention. As as a blocked route can lead to humanitarian aid not being able to be received by the people in need. If you have, for example, the you know, Professor Alexander was talking about bridges, um, or in South America where the the development or the progress they were set back by twenty years. 20 years imagine you're like living in 2021 and all of a sudden with a blink of an eye you're in 2001 Hmm. how will the world look like Mm -hmm. so little warning systems you have as well in place earthquakes they're sudden and unexpected so hard to predict and so hard to warn others so that's why buildings should be earthquake proof instead as we have the cases in Japan Mm -hmm. they've gone through this so many times I mean the earthquake what was it 19 I don't even know in, in Kobe yeah horrible destruction unimaginable for us mm-hmm. but they've learned from from
0: from those experiences from those experiences and they've built better houses um, to prevent uh, you know earthquakes and I mean it's fascinating to just to think how you, you can uh, people progress by uh, and and you see the the progression as well mm. when when people uh, face challenges and they make something better and better and better. One thing that comes into my mind is uh, bunkers. You know, mm. uh, uh, it's 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 also something that That's could Benefit uh, a lot of uh, you know natural disasters. I'm not sure about. But would they be uh, floodings earth,
1: Earthquake and flooding proof, flood proof? I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. Keep that in mind, because we're going to ask our next guest for today. uh, Professor of Earthquake Engineering at the University of Bristol uh, with the long experience in mitigating seismic risk around the world. Professor Anastasio Sextos is with us online. Professor, good afternoon, peace upon you, and welcome to The Drive Time Show.
6: Uh, Good afternoon to you and uh, your audience.
1: Thank you very much for joining us today. Now, as someone who has researched much into the structures of communities subject to natural hazards, what are some ways that countries can protect themselves from natural disasters like an earthquake, and can we ever be ready and, 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 and prepared for, for things like that?
6: That's an excellent question, actually. Well, yes, we can be ready at different levels, and we can prepare ourselves also at different levels. The most important thing in my humble opinion is to create awareness to the people because buildings are, you know, structural health is like people's health. So you need to be aware of a problem if it exists. And the problem is that in some regions in the world, we don't have enough information to assess the probability of a strong earthquake to happen. This is because earthquake engineering as a science is something quite new that The first earthquake record was recorded in 1940 in El Centro in, in the States uh, in the way that we do it now. Mm. So we only have uh, very scarce data with respect to what is happening, where, how strong the earthquakes are, which means that to be aware, we need to collect all possible information we can. The second level of preparedness is to do things before the next earthquake. Mm. This means that we have to Collect in you know in our own rhythm um, information about where are the seismic faults. Some of them we don't even know that exist. Assess the seismicity. That's what seismologists are doing. And then the engineers need to inspect the buildings, particularly the ones that were designed before the introduction of modern seismic codes, which is really very important. In many countries in the world, two thirds of the buildings are substandard. I mean they're designed with rules that are less demanding like the ones that are applied today. Hmm. So this is a great social problem, and to be prepared and to answer to your question, we need to A, be aware that yes, we are in a region that an earthquake can happen, and B, we have good understanding of what our structural portfolio is and what we should be doing to retrofit our buildings, particularly the old and the weak ones, before the next earthquake hits.
1: Wonderful. Now, Professor, you've been leading um, research programs in the UK as well as in Nepal and Malawi. Um, mm-hmm. Nepal, I know, um, Malawi, again, excuse me for my ignorance, I don't know about, but N- Nepal, I know they've had their history of earthquakes and other mm-hmm. natural disasters as well. How, can can we predict an earthquake when when or how can you predict that an earthquake is to occur and how... Easy or difficult mm-hmm. is, is that to do so, and plus, um, for for mm-hmm. the benefit of of our listeners, how much time do we have to 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 prepare in such a situation?
6: Okay, this is probably the one billion dollar question. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and obviously, first, we I think we need to find what prediction is. Sure. Because to be to be strict with a, let's say with a, with a formal definitions. Prediction is to know the date and the time of the earthquake in Mm. advance, right? Mm. The location, pretty precisely, and the magnitude. It's going to be strong, very strong, less strong, and the like. The three things that I just mentioned have never been predicted
3: Mm.
6: combined. Never, ever. Okay. Now, there are some signs, but they can give you, give to some seismologists a feeling or some data, some information that in some quite large areas of the orders of hundreds of square kilometers within a time frame of months there might be a stronger earthquake and sometimes this prediction can be can be um, true right mm-hmm. but this is not something that it is precise enough to do anything with this so the answer to your question is we can predict earthquakes in the way at least i defined it it's no unfortunately There has never been a case that somebody was able to predict day, day, time, location, and magnitude in advance, Mm. unfortunately. Therefore, what we're doing is that the seismologists are providing a probability that the earthquake will happen in a specific region within the next, let's say, 50 years. And with that, the civil engineers then say, okay, we can't predict the earthquakes, By taking for granted that they might happen during the life cycle of a structure, Mm. we design it in a smart way so whatever happens, at least it does not Mm. collapse. Mm. And this is exactly how seismic design goes like the last two decades. Mm. Whatever happens, the structure should not collapse.
1: So there's a collaboration between... Uh, the scientists and then the civil engineers, civic engineers, isn't it? Oh,
6: oh, oh uh, absolutely. Yeah. This, this is a chain. Yeah. It requires seismologists, engineering seismologists, geologists for seismic fault mapping, geotechnical engineers, structural engineers, uh, people from you know from finances to understand the consequences yeah. at large within a city when the bridges fail. How much would it cost? What would be the downtime? You know, all that. So this requires a multidisciplinary approach. But having said that, there is one that we can't predict earthquakes in the way we define it. There is a way to provide early warning. Mm -hmm. So assuming that the earthquake did occur at where you are located, it would take some seconds to travel, you know, some kilometers far away. Yes. So we do have the technology now to send an early warning system, uh, you know, an alarm to ring, like in a nearby city, mm-hmm. until the waves of an earthquake that happened
3: mm-hmm.
6: reach the other city. This would be of the order of, let's say, five seconds, ten seconds. Mm. But sometimes even ten seconds, it's, it's it's fine to you know evacuate a building. For example, two years ago, in a major earthquake in Mexico City. You know, the, um, the alarm rang all over the city and some people were able to, to go uh, out of the buildings, you know, within reasonable time.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: So early warning is what we can do in between an existing earthquake and, you know, what happens in where we're located. Very interesting.
1: I don't know if this answers your question. Sure, sure. No, it, it does. It does. Mm. Thank you very much for that. Um, mm. And then coming to 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 home, to coming to the UK, are are mm. we? Uh, yeah. Is the UK vulnerable to to earthquakes? And and if so, do you believe that we are prepared? Because when we spoke to um, Professor Alexander before you, he said that he experienced mm. an earthquake in London. Though it was very minor, but uh, yeah. <laughs> he did experience one. Yeah.
6: Well, you said, is the UK vulnerable? You didn't say if earthquakes happen. <laughs> well, yes, earthquakes happen in the UK as well. I experienced one in Cardiff, for instance. Yes, they happen. Okay. But in fairness, um, what we call seismic hazard, which is, let's say, how probable it is to experience an, a strong earthquake, well, in the UK, this is lower than in, other, in, in purely seismic regions, mm. let us say. To give a, a feeling for, for your audience, for reference, the seismic force that buildings are expected to experience during their lifetime in the UK is like eight to ten times lower, maybe, Mm -hmm. compared to Japan and and California, for instance. One of the forces would be applied in, seismic forces will be applied in UK buildings compared to Italy, Mm -hmm. which are, you know, have higher degree of uh, seismic hazard. But on the other hand, because earthquakes don't happen in the U.K., buildings have not been designed to resist earthquakes. Overall, I think the, the U.K. is doesn't, it's not exposed to significant hazard. That's a given. Yeah. But what is important to, to stress to for, for um, the people who hear us is that whether a structure is vulnerable or not is one part of the equation. What we should be thinking, uh, the way we should be thinking the problem is what's called seismic risk. Risk is a more comprehensive uh, concept, which means that we have to know how probable it is to experience a hazard uh, an earthquake, times how weak the structure is, times how many buildings, bridges, and other assets I have in this given region, times consequence. So the first two are generally low in the UK, so buildings are pretty decent and earthquakes are not very likely, strong ones. But, for instance, in the nuclear industry, in the UK as well, the consequence part can be very high. Therefore, nuclear infrastructure in the UK, and also in France, for instance, which are not very seismic regions, uh, seismically active regions, they have been designed to the maximum possible standards because of the consequence, not because of the probability Mm. of an earthquake. So, for instance, Japan has both consequence times hazard So it's a more complicated case.
3: Hmm.
6: I think the UK is seismically proof, if I may say so, in general. As far as I know, all all appropriate measures are taken care uh, care of in the nuclear industry. And uh, the hazard is also low. So I would say that we should generally feel...
1: uh, No, I, well. I, I, li, I like the sound of that. That that puts me puts yeah. me puts me at ease a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but but it's
5: all about probability,
1: right? Sure, so yeah. The probability
6: be <laughs> very very very
3: low. Yeah, yeah.
1: But it's still there. Um, lastly, mm-hmm. we want to ask you, uh, Professor. Sure. Um, you mentioned you know, previously. We spoke about this collaboration between seismologists, between civil engineers, between so many different mm-hmm. you know scientists and and everything. Um which we can understand that there the must be a good collaboration, and I'm sure there is no problem with that in in mm-hmm. in uh, in developed countries, but in developing countries, is there a different okay. approach as to how they prepare for earthquakes compared to us um because of the lack of funding, because of the lack of resources mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, so many other factors as well
6: yeah yeah you're absolutely right it's it's a different case it is a different problem. Mm. and as you already mentioned first of all the the resources are limited Mm. so uh, let's say that even if a government does have the resources sometimes to retrofit let's say weak buildings maybe the materials are poor or there is no it's not easy to access reinforced concrete in some mountainous regions Mm. for example so there are problems like that sometimes in the developing uh, countries the design codes are outdated sometimes not, not necessarily, but it's, it's quite frequent. And also quality control can be quite low in, in developing mm. countries. And another very important parameter is that the vulnerability exactly for this region is higher. So the same earthquake in California, the exactly the same earthquake, between California and, let's say, a low-income country, it will probably and unfortunately cause many more mm fatalities, much much higher loss in a, a low-income country compared to a developed country. For context, in Nepal, in 10 seconds, seconds during the 2015 Gold earthquake, 50% of the GDP was lost in 10 wow. seconds. The same earthquake, had it happened in California, that would be 2 or 3%. Hmm. Because buildings and bridges would be stronger, naturally, and the GDP would be higher.
3: Yeah.
6: So that combined shows that it is this combination of lack of resources and high uh, vulnerability shows that even though in theory we're, we are all entitled to the same degree of seismic safety as individuals. This is not true. This is, this is a really huge social problem. Mm. A person who lives, an individual
3: yeah. who
6: lives in a poor country, has personally, personally much higher risk from earthquakes from a person who lives in a developed
1: country and if you want my opinion
6: this is unfair and because seismic safety mm. should be a human right uh, absolutely
1: I agree absolutely agree couldn't, couldn't agree yeah. with you more on this one mm-hmm. Professor Anastasios thank you very much for your time sir we would love to keep going but uh, unfortunately time is not on our side but absolutely. thank you really really appreciate your time sir thank you so much once it again was a,
5: it was a great yeah. interview. thank, thank you.
1: you have a great day Zero 02086877878 zero eight, seven, seven, eight, seven, eight. there it is the probability is there lastly there quickly we want to run through the very long but we're going to keep a very short question R natural disasters are the natural or are they divine punishment now there has been much thought into whether the occurrence of natural disasters is a sign of god's displeasure and there's two types of thoughts one that says the occurrence of natural disasters is a result of natural laws and another school of thought is the idea that natural disasters are never a natural phenomenon rather natural disasters are something beyond normal however We as Ahmadi Muslims, we believe that it is stemmed through the Holy Qur'an and our teachings solely come from the Holy Book. And we do not, for a moment, dispute the fact that disasters, misfortune and earthquakes occur because of natural causes and these occur strictly because of the laws of nature. However, it is important to note that we as Ahmadi Muslims also believe that God is the creator of the laws of nature and controls them. So the laws we define as laws of nature are under God's guidelines and these incidents are predetermined. Um. So, yes, natural disasters occur because of natural laws and natural causes, but these causes are created and controlled by God Almighty. So we do believe that physical changes are caused by nature, but nature operates under God's power and control. So that's why natural disasters can be a reflection of divine punishment. And the story of Noah's Ark proves that. But in all of these cases, you have prophets, you have messengers of God who inform the people beforehand that, look, you have deviated from the path of God Almighty. You have done something that God said not to do. Hence, I am giving you a warning. And this is something I think we find in the Holy Quran that never has a nation been punished, a a society been punished without having received a warning, a fair warning beforehand, Mm. without having... You know, uh a prophet sent to them a warner and someone who gives glad tidings at the same time. Okay, now um thank you very much for listening in today. That was it from the draft time show today with Myself Raza and Zakaria. We thank all of our guests from the first hour as well as from the second to uh, all of them, thank you very much for your time. It was a great pleasure to talk to you. We would like to say thank you as well to our research and production team. Today's uh, program was researched and produced by Ruhu Yaqub, Arum Al-Anwar and Chemal Inam. Thank you very much for that. Tomorrow, the Draft Time Show is going to be back with you at 4 o'clock. From all of us, Assalamu alaikum and JazakAllah for listening.